Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, John, it's your turn. What'd you pick? I picked a story by David Foster Wallace called Incarnations of Burned Children. (laughs) I read that title and I was like, oh boy. Yeah. I was going to pick a different one of his and then I was like, this one's more um, intense. (laughs) The daddy was around the side of the house hanging a door for the tenant when he heard the child's screams and the mommy's voice gone high between them. He could move fast and the back porch gave onto the kitchen and before the screen door had banged shut behind him, the daddy had taken the scene in whole. The overturned pot on the floor tile before the stove and the burner's blue jet and the floor's pool of water still steaming as its many arms extended. The toddler in his baggy diaper standing rigid with steam coming off his hair and his chest and shoulders scarlet and his eyes rolled up and mouth open very wide and seeming somehow separate from the sounds that issued. The mommy down on one knee with the dish rag dabbing pointlessly at him and matching the screams with cries of her own, hysterical, so she was almost frozen. Her one knee and the bare little soft feet were still in the steaming pool, and the daddy's first act was to take the child under the arms and lift him away from it and take him to the sink, where he threw out plates and struck the tap to let cold well water run over the boy's feet. While with his cupped hand, he gathered and poured or flung more cold water over his head and shoulders and chest, wanting first to see the steam stop coming off him, the mommy over his shoulder invoking God, until he sent her for towels and gauze if they had it, the daddy moving quickly and well, and his man's mind empty of everything but purpose, not yet aware of how smoothly he moved, or that he'd ceased to hear the high screams because to hear them would freeze him and make impossible what had to be done to help his child, whose screams were regular as breath and went on so long they'd become already a thing in the kitchen, something else to move quickly around. How'd you pick this one? I realized that um, we should do some David Foster Wallace. Do we bookend the uh, 20th century? You got James Joyce, which we should do James Joyce at some point too. Um, James Joyce at the beginning and then David Foster Wallace at the end as like the, you know, Ulysses and Infinite Jest as these like titans of literature. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, might as well dip into that, find some short story by him and bring it in and figure out why it's any good. Wow. The premise <laughs> of the podcast. Um, had strange. you read this one before? No, I didn't actually. I was just like, let me read a few Wallace stories and see what I find. Yeah. I'm always like a little skeptical and impressed when a story is like this short. But it accomplishes like so many different kinds of emotions, you know, so quickly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's basically one scene. It's like one moment. Yeah. One moment is a good way to describe it. Yeah. And at the end there, like, uh, obviously like zooms forward through the kid's whole life, which when I was reading about this story online afterwards, I guess there's like mixed reviews as to whether the kid survives it. I don't understand that, but he doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. But I, yeah, I definitely took it to mean that like he goes on and has a long, normal length life. But he's no, no, he does not. He dies. You think he he's dies? Vapor. He's vapor hovering over the room. I read he's this. Then evacuated. <laughs> no, okay. So I read it this way, and I'm not the only one. I'm not an I know, idiot. I know. I know you're not. So yeah, it just talks about like the whole rest unfold from a point of overhead, and whatever was lost never thenceforth mattered, and the child's body expanded and walked about and drew pay and lived a life. So I guess I 
So what, how do you think this ended? I think he, um, the child died. And then the whole thing about his body expanding and the life that it was, it's more of the lost potential because mm. the body is referred to as untenanted. Right. And the self soul so much vapor aloft, like it's not an inhabited dream anymore. Yeah. Well, the, the couple things that I read talked like latched onto that same untenanted word and, but described it mostly as the idea that um, this child was not only traumatized by the event, but probably disfigured from it in like a horrific way that like impacted his entire life and so he goes about like one with this like ability to separate himself from what's actually happening you know like when something that horrible happens and you like watch it from outside yourself and then also he's just like lost his soul essentially like he's he's walking around and he's alive but he's permanently screwed up yeah I can understand why I think the reason I resist that particular way of understanding the ending of the story Mm -hmm. is that I don't like to like just this is the way I read. I don't like to project extra things onto it. I don't like to project uh, this whole additional thing. Like it, there's no mention of uh, the way in which the life might be lived. It's just a vague kind of reference to it. It just feels like you're adding more to it than is really there. Sure. Th- that's the way I understand it anyway. Whereas yeah. the story ends here. And if the child's life ends here, that makes sense because they both come to an end at the same time. The only other thing like that's actually referenced in the story is the hinge. Like the door falls off the hinge. Yeah. You can think of that as, you know, maybe kind of like a symbol or something, a symbol of something breaking. And it's, you know, it, it coincides with, I always think it, it coincided with the child's death, but however you read it, it, it coincides with the moment when they're at the, the ER, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's kind of why I, I want to say reject <laughs> yeah. that, that reading. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this is the kind of thing people like to kind of have that, that discussion about, right? <laughs> well, because the only reason it like matters so much to me is because aside from this being a, a moment it's kind of like why would you write an entire story about something so horrific just to i mean the emphasis is really on the moment you know and well, i that's guess the thing i think that's yeah it's interesting the, the answer to that question is how how we read yeah that's another thing another reason that i don't want to i i don't worry too much about what implications might be is that i feel like the journey is the point the mm-hmm. moment is the point what happens mm-hmm. afterward is not the point we don't have to like guess at what happens next because if they're quote unquote whatever purpose for reading a story is is to experience that moment that's depicted and then then it's over and yeah. you can reflect on the moment but you don't need to go beyond it at least that's yeah. my theory of, of fiction theory of literature if you will no I get that and I'm I, I think I'm mostly with you in terms of like things that we've definitely seen in workshops where people want to know what happened next and it's kind of <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you got to appreciate what's on the page because otherwise I would have fucking told you <laughs> what happened yeah. next but I guess here like there was just just like a vague reference to what I read as he did survive, but he lived kind of a soulless existence. And so with that like conclusion in mind, like reflecting on the moment itself, you're kind of thinking like that the point of the story is that something like this can happen to a child. And even though, because this is my other thought about this whole story, even though this entire story is from the perspective of the father, right? It's like very close from the father. Like, yeah, more or less. I mean, there's a little bit of the wife, but it's mostly the father's reaction to the wife. I'll have more to say about that, but I want you to get to your point first. <laughs> okay. And there's a little bit about the kid experiencing it, but like from the perspective, it's like we're, we're, I think we're most in touch with the dad. And from the perspective of the bird 
and from the perspective of the door hanging from the hinge. I'm just saying that all of the mention of all these other characters is only to further whatever it is the dad's thinking. He's like looking at his wife and going like, yeah, she's crying over there, but uh, she did this. Anyway, I just felt like I was reading this whole thing and I was like mostly with the father the whole time. And by the end, we're with the son, but we're not with the father's reaction to the son's death. We're with like the son. And so I was thinking to myself that if the point at the end is that, you know, something so traumatic happened that it impacted the way the son survived and lived his life as a result. It was just interesting that it was told from the dad's perspective. I know it wasn't like first person, but I just felt like I understood mostly what he was going through. The kid is going through physical pain. Yeah, it follows the father mostly. Yeah. And then the kid is mostly just either lifeless or screaming, right? Yeah. So it's not much from the child as far as like, we're not experiencing the child's agony. We're more experiencing the anxiety or the exigency of like, how do I handle this? What do I do? Right. From the parent's point of view, mostly the father, as you said. And that, that might be another reason that when you get to the ending, you can assign our understanding of this uh, future to the father yeah. rather than the child. Yeah. I mean, that could you could do that. I thought about that too when I was reading people's opinion that the kid died. I was like, okay, so maybe this was, you know, so horrific for the dad that like that's what they're referring to about how he lives the rest of his life as a result of not just his son dying, but his son dying in one of the most tragic ways imaginable. And then there's that key detail where the kid has been like burning in his diaper the whole time because like the water is still against his body. Ugh, like that, yeah. that was messed up. Yeah, I mean, okay, so ending aside, before you get to it, you know, like the first thing I noticed was that that first sentence goes on forever. And so the tone oh. is, it's, it's, uh, the tone matches the scene, right? And the scene is, yeah, it's like chaotic, right? It's chaotic and it's like breathless and like breathless. Yeah, breathless is a good way to describe it. I don't even think that's my word. I think I read that. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's definitely like you want to describe a scene this stressful and when your adrenaline kicks in in a way that's like the moment felt you know so when you're telling it it's like yeah and the baby was burning and the steam was rising off its back and oh my god 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 see I actually so when I was reading this well not the first time when I first read it I read it just to read it right the mm -hmm. way I read any story but when I went back to reread it and to think about it I was thinking about it in terms of like this kind of style is often used for a stream of consciousness right yeah but this is not stream of consciousness because it's very third person it's not mm -hmm. first person mm -hmm. And you're right. It does mostly stick with the father, but the point of view shifts away from him a lot. Like right where I stopped reading, we're in his more or less in his head. And then all of a sudden we're outside the tenant's mm -hmm. side door outside hung half off its top hinge and moved slightly in the wind. And a bird in the oak tree across the driveway appeared to observe the door with, with a cocked head as the cries still came from inside. So the point of view is moving out and in, you know, we're getting his internal thoughts like here and there, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, mostly it's just viewing the action, but it's in the style that's often used for stream of consciousness, which mm -hmm. is all is very internal. And so I was thinking about that as like, who is this style for? Like this style isn't the character. The style isn't representing the character. And I was like, I feel like the style is for the reader. It's in order to create the experience. When you're reading it, it mimics the experience of what you're seeing 
being, right? right? And that obviously I'm influenced by my own theories of literature, if you will. And uh, I could read something and I don't have to know anything about the author. The author like yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, it's about what's on the page and what it does to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like David Foster. I don't have to imagine David Foster Wallace sitting in his in his house writing oh, this. Sure, and he's like, right. I know what he was trying to do to me by doing this, you know? Right. He's trying to fuck like, you up. What did he mean with that ending? It doesn't matter for me. It only matters like what the words do to my create the experience the words create for me. Right. And so I thought that was really cool that this style creates that momentous right. kind of, like you said, breathless, stressful, anxiety inducing reflection on what's actually happening. And that, that kind of, I kind of hinting at my takeaway for that. But I really like that as far as like presenting the scene in that kind of style. Right. Irrespective of the point of view. Yeah. What's interesting about like what you're saying too, with this normally being a style for stream of consciousness, but you know, it's not first person or anything like that. Like I, I, I like was surprised that they kept saying the daddy and the mommy. Oh yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They kept saying the daddy because the daddy and the mommy, it's not the father and the mother. It's like the, the daddy is daddy and mommy are the words the kids would use. But it's not mommy and daddy. It's the no, daddy. The. The so it's like, yeah. it's like, this is the nuclear family example. Yeah. It's like the mom did, the mommy did this and the daddy. The external kind of point of view. It's weird. Or phrasing. Yeah. And I only just noticed this skimming it, but there's one sentence where it says, I'm not even going to start at the beginning because who the hell knows where it is. <laughs> it says, mommy said their God's name first and grabbed the table to keep her feet while the father turned away and threw a haymaker at the air at the kitchen. It's like the father. Oh. Yeah. I underline that sentence for another reason, but... You think it's God or something? Why isn't it... <laughs> you never know. I mean, David Foster Wallace tried to do all kinds of stuff with, the, with his mm-hmm. writing, so... Mm-hmm. I don't always pick up on weird symbols and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's no offense style David, of reading. but uh, <laughs> I, I read it as a typo. <laughs> But I did want to point out that particular line. Uh-huh. The mommy said their God's first name and grabbed the table to keep her feet while the father turned away and threw a haymaker at the air of the kitchen and cursed both himself and the world. It is such specific, concrete, vivid actions on the part of each character. Yeah. You don't have to mention what they're feeling. You can see yeah, what they're yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah. And it's for both of them. It's like a mirror. It's uh, the mother has an action and a word, yeah. like a vocalization. And the father has an action and a vocalization, right? The cursing right. versus the uh, said their God's first name. That's a weird way to phrase it. Like that's again, I think it's related to the point of view. It's like, why not put in quotes? She said Jesus and mm-hmm. then describe it. It's for some reason he's maintaining this distant point of view but those two lines not even the full sentence but those lines are uh it's finding those moments in your prose and your writing to depict scenes is like what every writer should aim for is the highest accomplishment is mm-hmm. to find those little actions that can define a scene like that the, mm-hmm. i'm gonna remember the haymaker forever mm. just from this story it's like a defining moment in that when he discovers that all his everything he's been doing has been for nothing you know What's because they missed Oh, it's like a wild punch. How was that phrase? He threw a haymaker. Like he threw a just a swinging punch into the air. Okay. okay. Threw a haymaker at the air of the kitchen. Yeah. So I just, he turns away from the kid and he's just so frustrated that he, so frustrated and aghast and yeah. in agony. And he, all he can do is he has to physically act out. So he just throws a punch at the air. You've seen, you know, people do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it just, it's just really highly visual and character defining, I think. That's mm-hmm. why I say it's like a defining moment. Yeah. Yeah.
I underlined this says small face distended and thready veins standing out at the temples. And the daddy kept saying he was here. He was here. Adrenaline ebbing and an anger at the mommy for allowing this thing to happen. Just starting to gather in wisps at his mind's extreme rear still hours from expression. That's great. Yeah, it, it's written terrifically. And like the thought that it's capturing is also like it makes you sick, you know, because this is not anyone's nobody whose fault this might have been would have wanted this to happen so you can't blame these people like she might yes. have been able to avoid it but like when you blame someone for an accident like this it's like oh it's so terrible to say it's your fault anyway the fact that um this is like kind of the moment where that starts to formulate for him you know because i i don't know i just thought it was a really keen observation right because maybe in a different kind of storytelling we would have a scene later where he blames her or maybe even in the moment he blames her but instead we get to kind of see that like this thought will come eventually but this is when it starts to brew and he's in the moment so he's not going to like mention it but it's coming and then to say that it's like hours away from expression it's like oh my god hours so like this is going to happen the day of this horrific accident potentially after the kid's actual death depending on how you read it you know that he's going to blame this woman it's not going to come after days of thought or you know it's like oh my god hours away from expression so at some point he's going to say this to her and it's just like I mean you can't you can't even blame him for like thinking it or feeling it it's just an inevitable thought, but it's just it just makes you sick. This is like one of those moments we bring up the fourth episode uh, story, bullet in the brain, all the time. As far as like, yeah. uh, he did not think about, he did not think about. And this is another version of that. Yeah. The character is not aware of this fully. He might be vaguely aware of the underlying anger, but he doesn't right. know how it's going to be expressed in a few hours. Right. Yeah. So this is another moment where the point of view, we're looking at him and we know more than he does, which is uh, remembering to do that as a writer, you know, it helps build character and scene in such mm-hmm. uh, like knotted ways that you can't do in any of like, you can't do in any other medium. Yeah. You're not going to get that on TV. That's such a fascinating feature of fiction is the thing that's not happening that is mentioned and what that does to us as we read it. It's like in a literal way, how am I supposed to read and understand a scene in which he did not do something, you know, yeah. and yet I'm being told about it. <laughs> yeah. And yet it adds so much. It adds so much emotion and motivation and everything that goes with that. I usually read passages that way, even if it's like from a certain narrative point of view, that's not like first person, you know, I feel mm-hmm. like I usually read them and like them because they do what I like about a lot of writing which is like it has this like nostalgic feeling to it where the narrator is inserting what they didn't do because it probably later occurred to the character that they had options in that moment you know yeah it's like a retrospective yeah their ability in writing to evoke multiple temporal frames or perspectives from different time periods on a single moment of action Mm -hmm. is again one of the things that you can do in fiction you can't do anywhere else yeah I feel like like maybe a more common and like easy way to spot that is like anytime you've ever read something where it says like I don't know like she finished reading the book period later she would blah 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 yes you know what I mean so they they jump ahead and maybe it's like 10 minutes or 20 minutes or like yeah I love that like she would do these things but like later I don't know I feel like I've read I feel like I've seen that a lot and I and you always like that too we talked about you do that when the story is in the present tense when you get to the Mm -hmm. end it's not would it's will Mm -hmm. later she will do this later she will do that it's the same it's exactly the same thing. It's just shifted intense. Right. 
trying to think if I have a takeaway for the story. Do you have one handy? Yeah, my I kind of hinted at my takeaway earlier when I was okay. talking about the kind of not quite stream of consciousness style, but just this the way the style creates the feeling of the yeah. piece. And my takeaway has to do with that. It's just when you're writing a piece, I don't know, the common advice that writers is like, you find your voice. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that was the dumbest advice you could ever give somebody because I always thought that voice should be dictated by the story. Oh. story tells you what the voice should be and this is the kind of thing where and i don't even like calling it voice because i don't like thinking of a story as being spoken it's just Mm -hmm. words that i read and then after the first five or six words i stop thinking about them as words and i just i'm just engaged with the imagery in my head yeah but the style in which you write it it helps create the way the the reader experiences it Uh and that should be reflective of the story that's that's being written so if you tell it and if if you write it as a spoken thing sure then having a distinctive voice for the speech of it like that story um goodbye and good luck the grace paley story Aunt May, yeah, very distinctive voice because she right. was telling us that story. The whole she was telling right. our niece that story. But this is like you know, this is kind of like a uh, stream of consciousness. But it's not the character's stream of consciousness; it's like the reader's stream of consciousness. It's like mm-hmm. I'm going to throw everything you need at you really fast, right. and then yeah, you're going to experience yeah. it that way. And the point of view is, it's not going to be out here. We're going to dip yeah. in once in a while, but it's going to be far away, right? And that's the way you're going to experience it. You're going to watch it. You're going to see it from afar. So my takeaway is to think about those kinds of decisions as uh-huh. uh, as a writer for the story. It's like, what is the appropriate style in which to present it? Right. Yeah, I guess like I had just like similar like immediate thoughts reading it was, you know, like specifically for me was like the sentence structure, you know, with all these commas and it just goes on and on. And I've definitely talked about this, if not on the podcast and in our workshop. But when I took like creative writing classes in Dublin, there was a professor that like I remember like I had taken workshops before and like not gotten tangible advice you know mm-hmm. i'd gotten like oh, encouragement yeah. yeah but one of the tangible pieces of advice that they gave was like and it was basically an assignments so we'd have a story do you could write whatever you wanted but in that next story that you had done you had to mimic like certain sentence structures and we had like i remember at the time like three examples i couldn't tell you exactly now but there were like clauses where you were supposed to like write a sentence and like invert the clauses you know mm-hmm. which makes you sound so much smarter it's weird <laughs> but like certain things like that that as soon as you do it you're like why have i never tried that you're like well that's because it's not my natural way of speaking and maybe i've only read it a couple times or maybe i don't read anything like it but as soon as you do it you realize that there are like these very quick and easy ways that you can just like level your writing up and it doesn't matter that you had to do it intentionally because after a while there'll be certain sentences that just occur to you anyway and like i said i can't remember the other examples that he gave but i do think that you can read a story like this one and tell yourself like next time i'm gonna try a run-on sentence and not just maybe out of the blue but maybe to your point for a story that like the tone and the scene kind of calls for this feeling as you read it of like an emergency of like you're out of breath and you're oh my god oh my god oh my god yeah i mean like i i can think of like if you're writing a story and someone's telling you gossip it can even be like a, a long paragraph of dialogue and someone's like and then he said and then she said and then oh my god would you believe it that would be an interesting style to write a story in mm-hmm. that'd be cool i bet somebody's done that that must have been done oh i'm sure yeah All right. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash whyisthisgoodpodcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop.
You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at NaplesWritersWorkshop.com.